For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Well, good morning, Covenant. It feels like forever since I've been up here. I had a week of vacation, and then we had a special speaker, and then we had the hurricane that turned up leaving us alone, praise the Lord, but it's good to be back before you this morning. Uh, you know, our annual theme this year, this ministry year, our ministry year runs from really mid-August to mid-May. Our theme this year is Life in the Spirit, and we've already begun to explore that emphasis. A few weeks ago, we had Dr. Jim Whittle here, and he did a seminar on prayer and kingdom-focused prayer, and then more training on Sunday and preached to us on that Sunday morning. And then about a week and a half or so ago, we came together, and of course we ate food, because if we come together, that's the law of God. And uh, then we had a concert of prayer. Uh, And so this idea of life in the Spirit has already begun. After this weekend, we will be in the book of Romans into June. We'll finish up the book of Romans in June. And we're going to continue to come back to this theme in various ways at different times as we explore and we unpack the book of Romans. I'm really looking forward to this. You know, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you now recognize that there is an inherent tension between the Holy Spirit of God who indwells you as a follower of Jesus Christ and the remaining influence of your fallen human nature. And then when you throw in the temptations that come to us from the worldly system that we live in, you throw in the temptations that come our way from the great enemy of our soul, the devil, what we end up seeing is that this tension blossoms into all-out spiritual warfare. Many decades ago, and I hate to say that as I'm now getting older, but many decades ago, I attended a conference at a local church. I didn't normally attend the church that was in the city, Chattanooga, where I was living. I went to that conference because it was being advertised as a seminar that would help you as a Christian have victory over the world, the sin, and the devil, and that you would experience God's blessing in your life. In that seminar, what I was told that if I wanted to experience those things, I needed to be baptized by the Holy Spirit. And I was assured that when I experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that I would have incredible victory over sin. I would be this incredible warrior for God in the spiritual battles, that God would use me in mighty ways, and I would be given the gift of speaking in tongues. In that seminar, I was taught various techniques and formulas that I could put into practice to basically induce this baptism of the Holy Spirit and this second blessing that I had been missing out on. 
Now, I have to confess that even though I think I was only 18 or 19 at the time, I had been raised in the scriptures and I did not buy in to what I was hearing. And the reason why I didn't buy in was because it contradicted what I knew the scriptures clearly taught. Um, This idea of being able to induce the Holy Spirit in certain ways is foreign to the scriptures. It's completely outside of what the scriptures teach. Now, I understand how this happens. There's a lot of confusion in churches today about the Holy Spirit. Uh, In fact, I would say because of some of the abuses that have happened in the church of God as a whole, that churches like ours have maybe even reacted, and we're a little bit nervous about the Holy Spirit. Uh, We don't even talk about him too much. It was kind of funny. I was talking to Paxson at our concert of prayer uh, a week and a half ago. At the very beginning, we did a triune, an adoration of our triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And so first we prayed in small groups about God the Father, and that went well. And then we prayed about Jesus in our small group, and that also went well. And then he instructed us, now let's pray to the Holy Spirit. And in my group, at least, there was like crickets at first. We talked about it later. It was kind of uncomfortable. We didn't know exactly how do we pray. We've, we've kind of reacted. It was almost like we're a little afraid of the Holy Spirit because of abuses that have occurred. Let me be clear about something this morning. Uh, we do not induce God to baptize us with the Holy Spirit. And nowhere in the scriptures will you find techniques and formulas that you can put into practice that will somehow cause him to bless you and give you certain spiritual gifts. You don't find that anywhere. In fact, when you read the New Testament, you will see that the Holy Spirit is referred to approximately 95 times And the majority of these times, these verses describe the Holy Spirit acting upon us in a manner that is completely outside of our influence or our control. So, for example, you'll read that the Holy Spirit regenerates us, He baptizes us, He indwells us, He conforms us, He prays for us, He constrains us, He guides us, He worships through us, He teaches us, justifies us, sanctifies us, comforts and seals us. But in all of those many examples, He is the active agent and we are the recipients of his divine mercy and ministry. That's the overwhelming example of Scripture. However, there are a few, some verses that show that we aren't just passive recipients of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So, in fact, negatively, the Scriptures teach us that through our actions or our inactions or our heart attitudes, we can actually resist the Holy Spirit. We can grieve the Holy Spirit. We can even go so far as to quench the Holy Spirit's ministry and power in our lives. So negatively, there's those examples. Positively, through our heart attitudes and our actions, we can be filled with the Holy Spirit. And as our passage this morning points out, we can walk by the Spirit. 
As we get into the book of Romans, those positive aspects of the Holy Spirit are going to be brought to life. We're going to see this especially in Romans chapter 5 and 6 and 8 and 12. So this morning, as we talk about this idea of life in the Spirit, I really want to focus more on why. Why are we emphasizing living our lives in the Spirit? Why are we making this a point of, of, in, of emphasis in our church this ministry year? Well, simply put, the only way we can honor God with our lives, the only way we will be used by God to vigorously build His kingdom, the only way we will see the vision of Covenant Church fulfilled in our lives and through our lives is if we are controlled and directed by the Holy Spirit of God. It's the only way it happens. I mean, that's about as succinct as I can put it. This is why we need to emphasize it. If we're going to be victorious over the flesh, the world, and the devil, we have to be controlled by the Holy Spirit of God. Paul, in this passage this morning, he gives us a very practical benefit, a very practical reason why we should want to live our lives in the Spirit. Read this with me out loud. Only by living in the Spirit do we experience true life-changing freedom. It's only by living in the Spirit that we experience true life-changing freedom. Let's jump into our text. Let's unpack this overarching truth and benefit that Paul gives us in Galatians chapter 5 by way of two gospel applications. First application is this. Freedom starts with being joined to God's family through the Holy Spirit's baptism. In verse 13, Paul writes, for you were called to freedom, brothers. And right away, as we consider this application, two questions arise. What is the freedom that Paul is talking about in these verses? And what does it mean to be baptized in the Holy Spirit? Let, let's start right there. We have to be baptized in the Holy Spirit in order to experience the freedom that we're going to define in just a moment. We have to experience the baptism of the Holy Spirit simply to be joined into the family of God. Let's not overlook that little word, brothers. You see, Paul is, the context is important here. Paul is writing to the church in Galatia, which he had founded many years before. He had gone into the area, he had evangelized men and women, they had become followers of Jesus. He ordained elders and he set up a local church in this region of Asia Minor. After he left, in came false teachers. In this church, the false teachers were known as Judaizers. The Judaizers taught that for a person to, to experience salvation, for a person to uh, please God and have a life that brought honor to God, you needed to do two things. First, you needed to believe in Jesus. And secondly, you needed to obey the Mosaic law. You see, they were adding to Jesus alone by bringing in the law. And because of this, when Paul heard it, he was alarmed. He says to the Galatians, your freedom that you have in Christ through the gospel is now endangered because of these false teachers and this type of false gospel. But just don't miss what is obvious here. 
He's writing to brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. He is writing to men and women who had been brought into the family of God. We need to have a reminder this morning, maybe some Christianity 101 for a moment. The only way you ever become a part of the family of God is to have experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You can't be a part of the family of God if you've not been baptized by the Spirit. Here's what the Scriptures teach us. In Romans chapter 8, for example, verse 9, but you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember, and here's the critical part, that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to Him at all. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the human body, Paul writes, has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, and some are free, but we have all been baptized into one body by one, what's the next word? Spirit. And we all share the same spirit. We need to be reminded this morning that to be a Christian, to be a part of the family of God, means that we have experienced this baptism of the Holy Spirit. Without it, we're not Christians. But at salvation, as we are baptized by the Holy Spirit, He brings us to life. He gives us the gift of repentance and faith. We turn to Christ, and at that moment, the Holy Spirit indwells us. He comes to live inside of us. He joins us into the family of God. And with this movement of the Spirit comes freedom. Freedom. Excuse me. Now, what is freedom? What is freedom? We love freedom in America, don't we? We have a holiday built around freedom. You know, if you turn to the dictionary, the Oxford Dictionary defines freedom as the power or right to act, speak, or think as one wants without hindrance or restraint. Did you catch that? That's not very a good definition in light of today's social media culture, but anyway, it's the power or right to act, speak, or think as one wants without hindrance or restraint. I mean, let's face it. Who of us does not like the Rolling Stones song, I'm free to do as I want any old what? Time. Okay, I just dated myself because nobody filled in the lyric. But anyway, I'm free to do as I want any old time. Guess what? That's a bunch of hooey. And this definition is not a good definition. I got news for you. There's huge problems with these kinds of expressions. I'm free to do as I want any old time. There's a huge problem when we say, you know what, I'm free. I'm free as a bird. Oh yeah? Well, how about you walk yourself up to the top of the E building and shout, I'm free as a bird and step off and see how quickly gravity disabuses you of that idea, right? You see, we're only free, as free as our abilities are in place. Our abilities, they define and they constrain our freedom. We may think that we're as free as a bird, but the fact is we aren't because there's this thing called gravity which teaches us we do not have the ability to jump off a building and flap our arms and fly like a bird. So we aren't as free 
as a bird, are we? And as true as this is in the physical realm, it's even truer in the spiritual realm. You know, Jesus is having in John chapter 8 a conversation with a group of Israelites. He's teaching them, he's talking to them about freedom, and he's got these people, some who believe, some are who are on the fence, and some, the Pharisees, for example, who are antagonistic towards Jesus. And this is what he says in verse 31. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. I love that verse. If you know the truth, the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? That they, they kind of begin to argue back and forth over this idea of freedom until finally a few verses later we read that Jesus says to them, if God were your father, you would love me for I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It's an important question. Why aren't you guys able to understand my teaching? Now here's the answer. It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. They did not have the ability to understand what Jesus was saying. And why did they not have that ability? Because you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. You see, their freedom was constrained by their ability, and their ability was defined by their nature, and their nature was that of their father, the devil. So they could not even comprehend or understand the freedom that Jesus was offering them in his message of repentance and faith. Our freedoms are constrained by our abilities. So Paul, in this passage, says, you were called to freedom, brothers. The beginning of chapter 5, he says, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. So what is this freedom that the gospel brings to us? Gospel freedom, first of all, as we continue on in verse 13, is the ability to live for God in a manner that pleases him. He says, for you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. That word opportunity is a great word in the original language. It's, it's similar to what we do today in our military. Our army goes into an area, for example, they may defeat the enemy. They build a base in that territory. And from that territory, they will carry out more missions and, and operations to further pacify the area. This word opportunity here is essentially a base of operations. So he says, do not use your freedom as a base of operations or a pretext to indulge the flesh. You want to know what gospel freedom is from a negative perspective? Gospel freedom is not a license to sin and do whatever you want any old time. No. Gospel freedom is not a license to sin. It is the ability to live for God, for His glory, in a manner that brings honor and glory to Him. That's what gospel freedom is. 
As you read on in verse 13, you also see that gospel freedom is the ability to love and serve others for the right reasons. He says in the last part of verse 13, but through love serve one another for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Only by living in the spirit, only by living in the spirit do we experience true life-changing freedom. This freedom begins when we are joined to the family of God, when we are baptized by the Holy Spirit. He gives us a new heart. He brings us to life spiritually so that we embrace Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. He takes up residence in our lives. He grafts us into the family of God. These are all themes that we're going to explore in the book of, Rebel, uh, of Romans. This indwelling of the Spirit it changes who we are, and it changes how we live our lives. We see this even more clearly in the second application. Living in the Spirit brings a dynamic into our lives. It brings a perspective into our lives that completely reorders how we live. He says in verse 16, but I say, walk by the Spirit. That word walk means to, to order our lives, to arrange our lives, to habitually live our lives. So in other words, I say to you brothers, order your life, habitually live your life by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. There's a lot in those verses, isn't there? There's a lot in those verses that apply to us living our lives in the Spirit. For example, this idea of the desires of the flesh being in opposition to the desires of the Spirit. What does this mean? Let's start with this idea of desires of the flesh. Let's understand what that means. That word desires, most of the time, in the New Testament, it's a negative word. It's the word epithumia. Sometimes it's positive, like in Romans 1, when Paul says to the Romans, I have desired for a long time to come and be with you and meet you and preach the word of the gospel to you. But normally, in the New Testament, it is a very negative word. It refers to a compelling or compulsive intention, an all-controlling longing, an anxious kind of self-oriented craving. I was raised on the King James Version, and when it came to the word epitome, it's always translated as lust. That gets it across, doesn't it? There's no, there's no ambivalence about the word lust. You get the idea that this is not a good word. It's the desires of the flesh. That word flesh, the underlying word here is talking about, Paul uses it in this manner, not the, the flesh and bones of our carcass. He's referring to that aspect of our humanity that has not yet been redeemed. That part of us that still has that propensity to sin. That part of us that makes us look at ourselves in the mirror and say, what were you thinking? Right? That part. It's the moral and spiritual brokenness of our existence that remains until glorification. Now listen, this is a, a very powerful aspect of who we are. We can't deny that this is a part of our lives. If you go back to Ephesians chapter 2, Paul is talking to people who have not yet been baptized by the Spirit. 
people who are dead in their trespasses and sins. And this is how he describes this, this idea of desires and what it looked like. And he, and he includes us. He says, hey, listen, this is who you were at one time, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. Is there any idea that passions of our flesh is a good thing? No. Uh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature, and here's what seals it, children of wrath like the rest of mankind. You see, this aspect of, of our human nature, there is a, a remaining corruption here, and this is what creates that tension that we talked about earlier at the beginning of the message, the inherent tension between the Holy Spirit who now lives inside of us and this remaining corruption of our human nature. And it causes conflict because we still have desires. And you know, Tim Keller has written about this idea of the desires of the flesh, that the main problem is not our desires for bad things, but our over-desires for good things. When a good thing becomes our God, it creates over-desires. Sin creates in us the feeling that we must have this or that or the other in order to meet a certain need. So the desires of the flesh is opposed to the desires of the Spirit. That really, in the original, it's not desires of the Spirit, it's just spirit. It's inferred here, the idea of desires. The desires of the flesh stand in opposition to the Spirit and His work within us. Every Christian here understands this very fundamental truth that even though the Holy Spirit now lives within us, He redeems, has redeemed us and placed us into the family of God, He has not eradicated sin in us. When He indwelt us, He did not instantaneously eradicate sin or our desire to sin, but what He did do is He immediately began to change our desires. He immediately began to change and influence our response to sin and the desires of the flesh. And he did this in a very unique way. The scriptures tell us, first of all, that he broke the power and dominion of sin in our lives. One of my favorite chapters in the Bible is Romans chapter 6. And we're going to be in Romans 6 in the month of December. It's a great passage. There's a couple of verses in that passage in particular that speak to what the Holy Spirit has already done in every one of us who follow Jesus Christ. In verse 6, it says, We know that our old self was crucified with Christ in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. We're free. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. We're not enslaved to sin. We're no longer a part of that population that Paul spoke of in Ephesians chapter 2, who were children and objects of wrath, who simply gave in to the desires of their flesh and the passions of the flesh. We have been set free, no longer enslaved to sin. Verse 14, for sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. He's broken the power of sin. And the Bible tells us that he, the Holy Spirit is gradually renewing and restoring every sector of the battlefield, and that battlefield is our heart. And while this is happening, the desire to sin, the temptation to sin, 
It's still present within every one of us, but there is a new dynamic at play. The desire to not sin. The desire to please God, to live for God. The desire to see sin conquered and grief when we indulge the desires of the flesh. Church, this tension that we all experience, I want to encourage you this morning. It's easy to get discouraged with it. It's easy to go through periods of, I think, despair almost as a Christian and even despondency as we see the tensions of these desires of the flesh butting heads with the Holy Spirit of God who lives inside of us. And it is so easy. I know in my own life there are times when I have just wanted to throw my hands up and give up and say, am I ever going to see this conquered in my life? What am I thinking? Why do I continually go back to this sin, thinking that it's going to bring me this or that or whatever it is that I'm seeking, instead of turning to Christ, who is my all-sufficient Lord and Savior? What is wrong with And you know what? It is very easy to actually go back to the law and say, there's something wrong with me. Why am I doing this? And, and you look at your life from a spiritual perspective as if it's a half-empty glass. I want to I encourage you this morning, look at it like it's half full. Praise the Lord that we're convicted. Praise the Lord that we actually are disgusted by whatever it is that we're fighting against at that moment in time. Praise the Lord that when we indulge that desire of the flesh, there is something within us that is grieved that we're driven to fall to our knees and confess that what we've done is sin before God and we call out for His grace and mercy. Do you not understand, church, that that response means something glorious has happened to us? We've been baptized by the Spirit. He's indwelling us. He has saved us and redeemed us. He's given us a new dynamic, a new power, a new perspective on life completely because now we're no longer children of wrath. We're children of God and the blessing. I know it's easy to get discouraged. You'll go through times, at least I do, I seem to go through times of intense struggle and battle with sin. And then it's like God gives me a reprieve, and I'll have a time of like, man, life is going pretty good. I almost have come to dread those times because I know what's coming, right? But don't get discouraged. You know, there's one final way that the Holy Spirit in this text changes our perspective. And he, and he brings a new dynamic into our life that results in gospel freedom. We're not going to dig into it and dwell on it much because there are whole sectors of the book of Romans that are going to touch on this idea. But here it is. It's in verse 18. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. You know, the Holy Spirit applies the truth of the gospel to our hearts, which changes us. It changes our understanding of God. It changes our perspective of God. It changes how we relate to God. I, I meditated quite a bit, actually, on verse 18 the last few weeks. And I wondered, uh, how did this apply to my own life? And I ended up writing out various things. I wrote out a paragraph and after writing it and thinking on it and revising it, I then decided I was going to change all the I references to we. And I want to close with, by, with it this morning and read it to you. 
when we are led by the flesh, we are relying upon ourselves or the flesh to save ourselves. We are trusting in our decisions and our actions to fulfill our needs. At that moment, we are our own rescuers, which is a works righteousness law mindset. It is the mindset of those who think the way to God is through performance and successfully obeying the moral law of God. When we are led by the flesh and we sin, we are rejecting God's grace and sufficiency and relying upon ourselves in that moment. When we are led by the Spirit, we are resting in God's grace and our acceptance by Him through Jesus and His successful obedience of the law. When we are led by the Spirit, we find what we need in who we are in Jesus Christ and what He has done for us, not in what we can do for God. The Holy Spirit always, always, always leads us to Jesus and the identity and freedom we have in the gospel. The flesh always, always, always leads us to law and performance. It is for freedom, church, that Christ has set us free. And our prayer and our hope is that this ministry year, all of us grow in that life-giving freedom as we live our lives in the Spirit. May God make this so. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to open this passage of Scripture Lord, I pray that you would do a work of divine grace in our church this year. Lord, would you allow us to experience and see and know that filling that can only come through your Holy Spirit. Would you give us the grace that we need so that we can walk by the Spirit, organize and live our lives habitually according to his will. In so doing, Lord, we will find true freedom. When we are tempted by other things that have the allure of freedom, that make promises to us that we know down deep are false, would you give us the spiritual strength we need, the grace that we need to say no to the unrighteousness and say yes to righteousness and to you? I ask this for everyone here this morning, for their good and for your glory, Lord Jesus. Amen.